welcome, welcome to another episode of Filmmakers and the Cutting Edge from CreativeSpark.ai, where we have conversations with filmmakers who use or create cutting edge technologies, tools, and workflows to be more creative and productive. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. If you want to get hold of me, feel free to email me, Marcelo at CreativeSpark.ai. Also, remember to check out CreativeSpark.ai for more podcast episodes and tutorials. Finally, if you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to the channel, click that bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out, and hit the like button if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, send me an email and tell me why. Now, today's episode is all about previs in the age of Unreal Engine and artificial intelligence with my guest, Tim Green, who's a writer, director, and filmmaker. So without further ado, let's bring on Tim. Tim, welcome. Hi, Matsuno. Thanks for having me in. I'm excited to have you here. Um, I think I I saw you, it was either Facebook or, or LinkedIn, I don't remember which one, but you posted a really cool previs that you did in Unreal Engine, and I told myself I got to have this guy uh, here on, and we're going to watch it actually real soon, but before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, you're in Cape Town, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a filmmaker based in Cape Town and Johannesburg before that in South Africa. Um, been a filmmaker all my life. I um, made five feature films and dozens and dozens of uh, TV drama, um, and uh, gradually moved into into editing and 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 then very recently started doing this Unreal Previs um, thing. It's been a hell of a learning curve for me. The the Previs that you're going to show is literally the first thing that I ever attempted to do it's extremely ambitious but it turned out okay um yeah so 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 that's that's like my new side hustle is is previous so for you say you've been a filmmaker and you've done a lot of stuff um were you more on the directing side writing um yeah i'm a writer and director i mean of, of the four featured film i've i've got four feature films that i wrote and directed um yeah, and that's always been since I was 13 years old, since I saw Star Wars. <laughs> I wanted to be a filmmaker. Has that inspired you? Yeah, I, 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 I can remember going home and going like, I want to do that. <laughs> and the, you know, yeah. so many people said that, right, when they watched that movie. It's amazing what George Lucas did. Besides yeah. the movie, just the, uh, the number of filmmakers that were inspired because of that movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Just... It was something completely special. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, now I have no interest in the Star Wars multiverse, but uh, it's large, it's huge. It's yeah. large, yeah. 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 Um, so what's, before we jump in and, and, and get into previous and all that, what, what's, uh, what's your take from, uh, from your filmmaker's point of view? What's your take on all this cutting edge emerging technology we're having, like artificial intelligence and everything else? I mean, because obviously you've been doing this, you said since 13 years old, Star Wars came out. That's quite a bit ago. You've seen a lot of changes, right? Both of you are probably, both you and I are probably same age. So we've seen a lot of changes. What What are your thoughts with uh, what's, what's going on today? Like with yeah. all this technology? I remember very many years ago reading or hearing about, I think it was the Lumiere brothers who first pioneered filmmaking 100 and whatever years ago. And, and I remember reading that they, were they did they weren't filmmakers when they set out they were photographers there was no such thing as film technology and my whole life i've wondered is the tech going to change 
uh, and and I'm going to wind up being something other than a filmmaker. And forty years of filmmaking went by, and there was no sign of of anything changing. And then suddenly, now with the advent of Unreal and of artificial intelligence, suddenly I'm like, yeah, okay, this is the paradigm shift. This is you know, and it's sort of equal parts scary, equal parts inspiring. Um, but but it really just opens up a whole lot of doors as a filmmaker um, that have been closed for so long. It's democratizing filmmaking for everybody, right? Yeah, well, I, you see, I mean, I'll get into this, but for me, I worry about the actors and the directors of photography and the gaffers and the dolly grips because I don't need any of that anymore if I'm, you know, that those skills might just become redundant. I don't know. Interesting. Um, yeah, that we'll leave that for another conversation because we don't want to get any any hate mail from anybody. <laughs> but let's let's jump in a little bit. Um, you uh, are working on a long form TV series called A Thousand Ropes. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. So, well, um, you know, like any filmmaker, I've got a dozen projects in development at any given time. Um, one of which is 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 the thousand a thousand ropes, which is um, it's set. I don't know if if your viewers will know Kimberley, but the the great hole, the big hole of Kimberley is something that's quite well known around the world. It's the largest uh, hand dug hole in the world. It's still there in the middle of South Africa today. It's where all the diamonds come from. It's where De Beers was formed. It's uh, it's quite a famous hole in the ground. And uh, this series called A Thousand Ropes is set in 1872. It's a period series about a particular moment when um, when the hole, when they were digging this hole, they allocated these small plans, 30 foot square, to thousands of miners who would then dig directly down in these square troughs. And uh, they had roads running across which linked all the, the various claims. But then, of course, people started undercutting to check for diamonds under the roads, and the roads collapsed into the hole. And suddenly, there was no way for you to get your dirt out of the hole from wherever your claim was to the lip of the hole. So people strung up ropes. And literally, what you got was this, this environment of a thousand ropes, which when I was on, I was on a road trip through the hinterland of South Africa, and I decided to stop off there. And there's a little museum there, and I saw these photographs taken. Oh, it's just extraordinary. Um, the yeah, just this this enormous mesh or web of ropes, and I was inspired by this. But this is like twenty years ago, and gradually, as as it it became a possibility, as tech developed. I thought this is now the time I can actually make this. And so I wrote a pilot and I put a Bible together and it was optioned by this producer and then that went away and then it was optioned by that producer, whatever. So it's in the in the run of things. But I I certainly I thought to myself, I'd been wanting to learn Unreal. And and I thought this is exactly the right sort of project to get my teeth into Unreal, just to build this environment of this massive hole. Um and bring it to life a little bit, uh, you know, with color and noise and sound and movement, as opposed to just these old black and white photographs of the whole. So that was the very first step that I took. This is in November last year. Um, the very first step I took into previs, which was just visualizing this enormous hole as it well, was being done. Do you want to watch it? We'll, I can play it. We'll watch it, and then we can yeah, chat a little bit more about it. It's only like a minute twenty, so let's take a yeah. look at it.
I got to tell you, there is no way that a photograph would do justice to that. And and that yeah. camera work is really killer. The lighting, everything. This is your first take at using Unreal? Yeah, yeah. Wow, is, that's pretty yeah. good, man. That's Thank congratulations. That's excellent. Uh, I mean, it's. I, I'm very proud of it. I think it's great. So is this, is this series going to be uh, shot... Uh, um, with with actors and uh, live action, or is so you're using Unreal mainly for previs and and to share your vision, basically. That's the plan. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, maybe nobody will ever finance this series. Maybe it'll never get shot with their live actors. In which case, sounds really know, interesting, though. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a killer story. It's really and it's just. It's just full of, of extraordinary themes. And if anybody's interested in it, uh, if you go to a thousand ropes dot com, right. especially we to have see it those, linked on our page too. Oh, great! Thank you. Uh, especially to see those original photos. So for me, yeah. they're just absolutely astonishing. Um, amazing. Yeah. So so yeah. So I mean, it's this thing of your pitch video becomes your previous video, which becomes your your actual the the, the lines start to blur. You know. Yeah. Um, well, so, today that's the thing yeah. with technology, right? What used to be post is now pre. What you know, and it's all blurring the lines now. Yep, yep. Because a lot of the stuff you're because okay, so let's talk. Let's start with previs. Let's for those that aren't familiar with it, let's define what previs is, which is sh uh, short for previsualization. Hard word yep. to pronounce, <laughs> um, right? But uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, normally, when is that started? When is that created? And why is it important in in the whole filmmaking process? Yeah. Well, I mean, traditionally, previs has had more to do with storyboarding, making animatics. It's basically anything that that becomes a tool for the director and the DP and and well, everybody really um, to take the take the words from this. You know, it's an intermediate step between the script and the screen, and um, and so yeah. I mean, I, I guess the thing that most people are familiar with is is a storyboard, which traditionally is it's often just a black and white line drawing, um, and and then traditionally, if one's you know that that gives a sense of yeah we're gonna we're gonna have a low angle shot here, things falling down or whatever it's gonna be, you can draw that quite nicely. If you want to get a sense of movement and timing, then traditionally one's looked towards an animatic, which uh, and and it's also it's a very loose word because an animatic could often used to be. A storyboard that somebody had cut up and moved the elements individually. That's a right. sort of a rudimentary animatic that says like it's there's a person running it, right? Yeah, and it's going to take them four right. seconds to cross the screen, and then we're going to go in on them for you know. So so it's very helpful, uh, you know, as you as you're putting your 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 thoughts together. Um, I mean, that's one kind of animatic. The other day, I was just uh, stumbled on an animatic. Which was uh, for you know the famous kitchen scene in Jurassic Park, um, mm -hmm. where the Velociraptors come in yeah, and, and around she's hiding and behind. Thing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, the animatic for that was it was stop motion puppets and little dolls moving around, and I mean you could imagine a crew of twenty people working for six weeks to <laughs> make this thing it was, it's beautiful and it like it really conveys how the scene's gonna work it's almost like its own little movie yeah exactly and i mean the more complicated the the job is the 
you know, you don't need pre-visualization for two people talking in a room, you know. But if you're going to start, have, okay, we're going to have digital velociraptors and puppets and blah, 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 the more complicated the thing is, the more the need for, for it. Back in the day before Unreal, et cetera, um, it was either very expensive to produce or it was kind of clunky and not that useful. And suddenly that wall has come down and you can produce pre-visualizations like one guy on a laptop like me can produce pre-visualizations that are, you know, that you can really, you can feel the scene. You, you can. But I have a question for you because yes. what, what you've showed or what we played here, I mean, we're not talking about rudimentary. That's It's beautiful. You can literally visualize everything mm -hmm. and the environment is pretty close to the real thing, right? Um, I can't believe that took you 15 minutes to do. So how long realistically to get it to the level that we just showed along with mm -hmm. something like that take? Now, I know you said you did it all on your own, right? Which it is an improvement on having a huge team, but... Or did something like that uh, take? Well, you know, it's a little different because I was learning Unreal from scratch. So every single thing that I wanted to do, I had to go to a YouTube tutorial. But uh, I mean, that took me about a month or a month and a half. Including uh, the learning. Including the learning. I think if I had to do that exact thing now, it would take me about a week. Okay. Um, so that's pretty amazing. I it. Yeah. I mean, and is that yeah. using um, because the power with Unreal Engine, besides being real time, is that there's thousands of assets out there already. So is that using yeah. assets from the marketplace that were out there already? Yeah. So all those scaffolds, I bought. I bought two scaffolds and then just changed the orientation and re repeated them a million times. And the yeah, it was yeah, just it was just um a lot of stuff from from quixel all the rocks were from quixel which are free um yeah it's just really just a sort of magpieing of of of, yeah. of assets which is what one does and you know 90 percent of the time you can make a good approximation i mean i had a cowboy walking around <laughs> in my in my african hole uh which which is yeah it's a stretch but right but, but again yeah, it's but, previous right so it doesn't have previous, to be exact yeah. because it's going to yeah. So what's the difference you mentioned? Uh, we, we spoke about storyboarding. Then we spoke about animatics, right? Which is sort of the next level. Um, is previs on top of animatics or is it just replacing animatics? Like when does previs kick in versus having animatics? Or are we talking about the same thing pretty much? Uh, I mean, I can't imagine that anybody in this day and age would ever commission a puppeteer to to make a, a you know, a, I mean, the puppeteers are digital now, you know, or for that matter, uh, a storyboard artist. I mean, again, it's it's like we're going to get hate mail, but but who needs a line drawing when you've got a perfectly rendered three D model of your character and you can light it and you can put dust in the foreground and you can check if we shoot it from there or what's it look like from there or if we're going to look at it like that. You know, there's so many there's so many permutations, and you know, the interesting thing is. Actually, the the work in progress. You because it's real time. You're pre-visiting your previs all the time. You're going. Am I gonna Am I gonna move the camera like that, or am I gonna move it like that? And you you're making you're testing all the time until and then finally you make a decision. You say, okay, in the previs, the camera is going to move on that side of the line, and and you render that out. But you've done a thousand little variations on that just getting to the point where you click on okay let's render it 
Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Unreal is important in this process, right? Because of the real-time and uh, real-time rendering. Um, otherwise, you would have to render constantly every time you you made one slight change, and that would slow you down for a long time. Uh, I think it will it will almost be impossible. But but the fact, I mean, it's like a it's like a, a miracle, uh, Unreal. I, I'm just completely bowled over by it. I, you know, I can take the sun and move it around there and see what it does and put it on the horizon, and then oh, the dust is all reading now beautifully, and you know, it's just. Yeah, it's really, it's really a quantum leap forward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now going back to the comment that you made, which I don't think we'll get hate mail, but it's good for conversation about about you know why do you need two D line drawing, right? But I mean, this is a good call for previs or storyboard artists, right? Because we still need them. As a filmmaker, sometimes you just can't do everything on your own, right? Sometimes you do it. I mean, the whole thing about filmmaking is collaboration is maybe that's their, the next step for storyboard artists is to learn all these tools, right? Because there are times where you do want that 2D just because it's, at the end of the day, sometimes it's like art almost that, you know, it's, it's a piece of asset for that movie that becomes like sort of an art thing. Um, but also, would you recommend that storyboard artists become these previous artists and learn all these tools so you continually evolve yourself as we all have to do in this yeah age. i mean i guess i mean i guess some people you know if you if you have the talent for drawing which i've never had an app it's been extremely so um, i uh, doesn't mean i'm gonna have a talent for for digital you know i i i very much it's extraordinary when i was about I don't know, 20 years old, uh, Photoshop came around and I was living in London and I remember seeing the advertising on the bus shelters of the, just a little boy sitting cross-legged with a star's background. And I was just like, I felt I know that, know that package. If I can just get a computer that like, can run this thing. And it took like five years till my girlfriend finally had a computer like that and we pirated the software and boom, I knew how to use Photoshop. And I've always loved Photoshop and I just have this affinity with Photoshop and I can't explain it. It, like, it feels like I've, I used to use it in another life. It's very odd to me. But um, and and suddenly I could do things that I could never do with my with my hand and a pen. So right. Extremely exciting to me, and I feel exactly the same way about Unreal Engine. The minute I heard about it, I thought I've got to get my hands on this. And once I got my hands on it, it felt pretty intuitive. Um, so to go back to your question, is is somebody who's naturally gifted at drawing line drawings gonna be gonna be the sort of person who can put in marks on the timeline, keyframes on the timeline. I don't know if that's, you know, but I would very much suggest if you, if you, if you, if you are a storyboard artist, that, that upscaling is definitely, it's not going to be a waste of time if you can do it. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, so what do you find challenging about previous? Uh, the time that it takes, the, you know, it is still a little bit like watching paint dry. You know, I, so I mean, and at the moment, I, I'm editing a movie, a long movie. So it's interesting because, like, as I said, just starting out in the in the uh, as the previous artist. But the the appeal there is mainly in the market. There is mainly for short form stuff. But if you're in the middle of doing a long form edit on a on a feature film, 
um, and somebody says, we've got a three-day gig for you. Can you build us this environment or whatever? It's, it's difficult to slot those two things in. They take, they take different times. But to get back to your question, the most challenging thing for me in making a previs has been the rendering. I mean, it's probably just me not knowing enough, right? But the way that I experience it, it, it is like the engine itself, what, we're on 5.2 at the moment. It's getting better and better. It's going to keep getting better and better. But at the moment, there's just some, it's like it's not totally a filmmaking tool. It's it's a game engine still. and um, Right. And the origin, just to be clear, the origin of Unreal yeah. Engine was for gaming, right? Not for, it, yes, it, exactly. it got adapted by Hollywood for filmmaking and now they're they're playing yeah. catch up and they as an epic is playing catch up to turn it into a filmmaking tool correct? yeah yeah where so i mean it's sort of it's a real-time aspect right so 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 as far as i understand with animation tools everything is extremely locked and extremely there's no wiggle room or flexibility or 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 I'm not expressing this well, but when it comes with with Unreal Engine, say for instance, there's a rockfall, right? Now, Unreal is going to, every time you generate that rockfall, those rocks are going to land in different places because of initial conditions. And it's a, it's a little bit, that's, that's the game engine of it, right? Whereas I think traditionally, if you animate the rock, it's falling along a particular motion path and turning in a particular way. Um, so there's a, just a little bit of um, random. So you don't have enough control as a filmmaker. Where well, when it comes to rendering, more. yeah, yeah, exactly. When it when it comes to rendering, then you might render it, and it just the rocks land right in front of the camera or whatever. There, there's these sort of random things, um, things that that have their own rhythm. Ah, it's very difficult to to describe, but I I found it a little bit frustrating. I'm hoping as I get better at it and it gets better at it that it's going to not be a problem, and I'm sure that is actually going to be the case. But that that's a that's a challenge um, yeah. for me. Yeah. The the other thing is yeah. I just want to mention, guy. by the way, real quick, that we are having some internet issues on your end. Uh, we can hear you perfectly, but you freeze quite a bit. But just so the audience knows mm-hmm. that, but but we can still hear you, so no problem. Cool. Okay. Well, for that. So why don't we do this? I what I love to do, uh, and we're going to continue the conversation. But what I love to do is I love to show you, we have a one minute a clip of the previous you did for a thousand ropes. So why don't I play this and then we'll continue our conversation? Is that cool? Sounds great. Scene one: exterior, the hole. Clouds of steam billow out. Flywheels spin and pistons churn. Powering an air compressor with speed and precision. As a powerful burly drill churns, drives and hammers its way into solid rock. Suspended high up against a sheer rock face, two gondolas carry several hardy diggers who are operating the drills. Between the platforms, a wrought iron trellis is being secured to shore up the cliff and stop the rock from falling. Almost there! Hold steady! Down in the pit below the cliff, Emma Davenport directs operations. Her hair is wrapped and tied back, and her face is streaked with dirt and sweat. Aiden! What's the time? Rugged Australian roustabout Aiden Gilchrist checks a talk game. 62! And time is... It's too high! 63 now! You've got to bolt it a little shit! We're not in deep enough! Matler, have your man take the strain on the right! On the other gondola, tall, muscular, petty warrior 
Matla Sekukune translates the message for the petty laborers holding the trellis ropes down in the pit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, that's the power of previous, right? Being able to, I mean, if if you just have photographs, right, or, or drawings, you're not going to get that kind of feel. Mm. Uh, you actually put an effort in sound design as well, obviously. Mm. Well, you know what? I actually, I when I first put a video pitch together, it was just me talking at the show with photographs. And then I decided to uh, make like a radio play of that first scene. I had the scrolling text of it and I asked um, some actor friends of mine to read those lines just on their cell phones and send me the clips. And I cut it together into into like a radio play and, um, and did the sound design then. And I'd, I, I'd, my intention at first was just to do that first previous, um, to build that hole um, and just show the, the environment. But then I suddenly felt like, you know what, I've got scene one pre-recorded as voices. Let me see if I can actually animate and started bringing in metahumans and, you know, and, and moving a camera around and learning how to do that um, and doing motion capture and all, all that stuff. Um, yeah, and then, and then generated that it's a three minute scene that we've just seen a minute of. Yeah, yeah, um, right. I we ended it just for yeah, yeah. Keeping it brief. Um so in the production life cycle of a movie, right, or a TV show, when we when would previous come in? And you made it sound like it's at the beginning, but also you keep using it throughout the entire so explain that that life cycle and, and when does previous get started and how is it used throughout it? I think the answer is as early as possible. Um it's really that the more time that you've got in the lead up to doing the thing, uh, the better. But it changes depending. If you are doing a shoot that is location dependent, you kind of have to wait till you got the location. Everything is sort of dependent on that. I mean, you can make a previous set in a wonderful location that you dreamed up out of your head, but if you if you can't find that location, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think with the traditional filmmaking, the the idea is is start working on it as soon as you know where you should, you know, as soon as you've got those sort of fundamentals done. However, if you're doing a virtual production where you're going to you you're gonna your previous background is gonna actually become your background on an LED volume. Um, I mean, I assume I assume most of all your listeners know what LED volume bits Yeah, yeah, we've covered that yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, virtual production. Um, so. so, so if you're doing it that way, then then really you can start as soon as the script is written. You know what I'm saying? The learnings come well for me as a director and a writer. I, um, it's been an ex- just making that previsualization. I learn all the time. I learn about what what I'm. What I'm trying to do with the scene, how I'm trying to achieve me, it, it forces me into where am I going to put the camera? What is my background going to be? What it's, uh, you know, and I mean, a very interesting thing with that, with that little previous, the one thing, it's a scene that's set between a woman in a pit talking to men up on the cliff, right? And behind her is this enormous environment that you saw in the world previous, right? right. But because the camera is looking down at her, it's mainly looking at rocks on the floor um, as a background. And I'm like, well, I really want to get that camera down so that I can see this magnificent, spectacular um, 
set that we that we built digitally and you know and i mean the plan with that that um pre-vist is that we're going to shoot that scene on an led volume here in cape town and we're busy applying for a meta uh, epic mega grant to um to help finance that hopefully we'll get it hot thumbs and then that would become an asset we could use to promote the show now it's interesting I, yeah i want to interrupt you real quick on that because um so your previous now or the world you built for the previous is now part of your production previous normally like Correct. you said starts very early during pre-production but now you're also building assets in pre-production that you're using in production for virtual production right yeah I think if we ever do actually put that on a volume, we'll probably go in and replace some things with higher res versions of of them. Um, you know, will be there will be a lot of upgrading to do, um, or not a lot, but there will be some upgrading to do. So it's not it, it doesn't just pick a switch and you can use it in the show. It is I mean one of the things that I love about previous is that you don't have to be too finicky that you don't have to be too precious. It's not animation. So you look at that thing and the lip sync doesn't quite work. And, you know, there's there's errors everywhere. But it doesn't really matter because it's a previous. It's not it's not for public right. consumption. So for me, it's it's almost like a means to the end in the, that by generating by making previous, I can learn without having to spend an eon of time that I don't have making everything perfect. You know, if I was if I was trying to, you know, I mean, I have this ambition that by the time I'm a filmmaker in my 70s, I'll be able to do my workstation and generate photoreal movies using all the scripts I wrote when I was in my 30s that nobody ever wanted to finance. I can now sit down and just <laughs> make these things um, in my dotage. But yeah, so, so and, and but, the hopefully what I can do is as a previous artist hone my skills and learn learn all that stuff in a in a in a medium that's not quite as precious as the the final delivery type of type. so so to that effect in in filmmaking it's all about collaboration there's usually you have a big team of people right or even a small team but so who uses the previous once it's created who in in the filmmaking team will end up using pre the the previous assets? Kind of anyone who needs. To. I mean, you. I think obviously the director is the person right. who guides the making of the thing, who makes a lot of the decisions with the previous artist. Who says like, yes, I want this, but I want that closer, and yeah, I want to get a high angle there, line, whatever. Um, but then it's that director it becomes a tool for the director to then share with say the dp to say does this work do you think we can achieve this is this practical whatever it, the producer can take that previous and go when it's going to the bank going to the investor going to you know as it's 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 very useful it's rather than here's a pile of words for you to read that you're never going to read um you know here you can watch this it takes two minutes and you really get a sense of what the thing is uh, so, so it's a tool for the director there, and then even to the point where, where I mean, I can imagine it working on set where, where you've got it on your phone or whatever, and you show it to the actress to say, you know, can you can you imagine that sort of a thing? I mean, that's the point where it gets a little bit, you know, it's much easier to show a storyboard to an actor to say like, this is what we're shooting. 
when you show a 3D print, it's almost like, do it like the machine did it. Uh, you know, it's, well, I an important it, yeah. point, because you don't want to influence their uh, take on how, their interpretation of how that scene yeah. is going to go, right? Obviously, but how can you not? Well, right, Sorry. right. Well, and the director is there to influence that too, right? But at the same time, it's co it's a collaboration. You want to make sure you have the actor's input as well, so... Yeah. Exactly. So, do you feel that then the previous is more about the um, the the camera movements and lighting and versus the whole blocking of the scene? You know, they're all so integrated. It's difficult to to draw that distinction for me. I mean, the blocking. You know, when I, when I direct something. The first question is, where are we going to shoot it? What's what's the location feel like? Where are the doors? Where are the corners? Where are the sight lines? The next thing is how the action is going to move in the space. Then comes the camera. How are we going to cover it? Um, and then comes the performance, which is like what we're actually watching um, is is the actor's interpretation of the words. And and um, so I don't know that you can disentangle it quite that that much. It's 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 all an, a sort of organic mishmash. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was very interesting when we were when when I was putting that scene together um, that that we just watched. The first thing that I did was okay. So I I built this big hole, then I stripped away most of it and just took a corner of it that I was going to be using because it just gets too too processor demanding um and then put some metahumans onto that stage and move them around in their weird little a-frame positions t-frame position just move them around to go like okay that one's going to be there then that so then i know okay i need about five steps and then get the motion capture to to start making those those puppets move um and then started asking myself where where am i going to put the cameras how am i going to how am i going to film this um but it's all very organic yeah very very intertwined yeah no that makes sense um for those that aren't familiar meta humans are also from epic right where you can actually create these avatars basically that you end up putting in your scene yeah yeah they're puppets they are incredibly detailed but um, very puppets. realistic yeah mm, yeah um it's very interesting. Um, so Unreal's just released 5.2, uh, version 5.2 of Unreal Engine. And along with that, the MetaHuman animator, which I haven't had a chance to play with yet, but I've seen a right. people doing it. And it really is an, a quantum leap forward. Um, just, the, yeah, I mean, I don't know if people know. So, so, so there essentially when you when you have a, a digital puppet like a meta human or or you have to move it and you can either move it frame by frame or you know you can give it give it moves by by sort of articulating uh, picking up a hand and saying then move that across or you can actually perform it via motion capture they call mocap right yeah and then and and Generally, one does the body motion capture and one does facial motion capture. And facial motion capture, there's a thing called Live Link where you take your phone and you film your face and it goes directly via Bluetooth or whatever into your Unreal Engine and, and applies that to your MetaHuman's face. It's, it's extraordinary. 
Uh, but that was a little bit rough around the edges, and now with this new software, it's um, it's really it's intensely detailed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, but all of these things. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Marcelo. No, no, no. Finish your thought, please. I was just coming to the AI. Um, the, well, that was that was actually a great minds think alike. <laughs> I was going there too. Um, I, you know, this we've talked a lot about Unreal with previous, but there's also artificial intelligence. Um, one question I had, and then we can jump into AI, but one question I had is for your voices, did you use voice actors or did you use uh, AI for that? Those those were friends of mine. That, that so voice actors, voice. okay. Yes. So yeah. let's jump into AI and how is, how is artificial intelligence um, affecting previs? Well, I mean, okay, so the, the one, AI thing that I used in that pre-visualization was a, um, it's a site called move.ai, um, which is a motion capture um, software, which basically what you do is you put up a few cell phones around you. I, I use two iPhones and you film yourself from two directions and you do some, some motion and it sends all to moves.ai's artificial intelligence and that computer works out what's the elbow, what's a wrist, what's a, you know, what, what, what a, and, and it creates a skeleton of your movement and sends it back and then you apply that skeleton to another human. And in so doing, you can do it with two phones, you can do it with six phones and it just gets more better and better the more phones or cameras you apply. Um, and the thing is, the the you know I've seen these mocap suits and 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 that use um uh, I'm about to get the technical term right now, but with millions and million well worth a million I think it is a million rand which is divide that by twenty you've got dollars for a setup like that, and this AI does it all without any suit without any calibrate or any any hardware they were done up um, just two iphones right you mentioned yeah, and, and even the is, lower end ones i think you mentioned yeah. yeah and it's comparable i mean it's not yeah it, it's really is comparable and i mean of course uh, you still have to upload it and get it back again whereas if you've got a proper mocap situation you're getting real time on your computer and that's right and if it's a studio to be fair if it's a studio working on let's say a marvel movie of course they have the budget but but they're working on something that's very uh proprietary and they don't want it out there right they're not going to do that they're going to work everything locally because they don't want anything to be leaked out right with it before yeah. the movie is completed yeah but before this, I mean, I'm not a studio. I would have had no way of doing this, of making those movements. I would have had to animate them back. Well, and, um, and again, we're going back to what we started, which was all of this technology is democratizing filmmaking, right? Um, so, somebody so said can, the other day, it's like every day I get given the keys to another room that Skywalker <laughs> locked. <laughs> I love that. That's true. Yeah. I love that. But it, yeah. it, it lets you uh, from Cape Town the one filmmaker compete with a studio. Yeah. 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 Which is amazing. Uh, we're getting pretty yeah. close. Yeah. We're getting pretty close to the end here. Um, tons of more questions, but unfortunately, you know, that's how conversations go. Right. Um, what do you have some uh, 
best practices or tips for people that want to do previs, but uh, you know maybe don't have the knowledge or w- what are some best practices and tips that you recommend besides hiring somebody like you, right? <laughs> um, patience, you know. Um, <laughs> patience and and I mean the thing is the thing is it's daunting to learn. Uh, uh, Unreal Engine for every menu it has fifteen sub menus and that has got one hundred and twenty. You know, there are just a million parameters that you can change, and I think that um, that that can be quite scary for people. But the fact of the matter is, if you just have patience, you plug through it. I mean, my I guess if I have one tip, it's choose a project with definable outcomes you know like for me it was very inter- it was very easy i wanted to dig that hole and make a, a digital version showcasing that environment so if you have like an objective that is that clear you and you have to achieve it you the thing is with with this stuff if you if you don't have a clear objective something becomes a bit difficult you ah ditch it and go on to something else you know but it's that thing when it becomes a bit difficult if you can't ditch it because it's on your trajectory to whatever you've decided you want to do um then it forces you go on to youtube google it whatever get a tutorial um and and find out the the difficult thing and there were the amazing thing is the difficult thing often turns out to be not that too difficult it's just like you got to follow it you know step by step but and then the weird thing is, like six weeks later, you can't remember how the hell did I do that thing. But yeah. but but it all comes down to having a project and an idea that you want to try and achieve first. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, what do you see the future of Previs, Unreal AI, real time rendering, all of this stuff? What, what what's your take on it? Obviously, we none of us know what's really going to happen, but things change literally every every fifteen minutes yeah. now. You know, I mean, I, I, it's like a, it's a trajectory that appears to be going like that. I mean, yeah, w- we don't know where AI is gonna gonna go. It's so in its infancy. I mean, my feeling is that I, what I want from AI is discrete tools, right? I want an AI that I can say, okay, build me a, a, an environment and three costume changes for these particular metahuman actors, and. Um, you know that that sort of I I don't want to be able to say like make me a movie because right then it's not going to be my movie. You know I'm a creative and I think all creative people want to see their thing made. You know, but maybe that'll just put me out of a job because a producer doesn't particularly have that particular vision. They have a vision of I'm going to make a movie and if I say I have to make the movie and it comes out okay, that's great. It's the AI's movie though. But yeah, so I wouldn't ask another filmmaker to make my film. I want to make my film. That's my joy, you know. Um, so I hope, I hope that specific plugins will become available. AI plugin or Unreal that will allow me to do my work faster, cheaper, better, etc. Yeah, and I think we're headed that way. Tim, it's been a pleasure, man. I mean, I know we can talk for another hour. We have many more questions, but unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and if people want to get a hold of you, you have your email right there. Any other place they can go check out? I mean, we have all the links on our on our site as well. But anything else you'd like them to go check out? Yeah, I mean, Tim Green, I say at Gmail, I'll, I'll definitely reply. And um, a, a thousand ropes.com. 
if you want to see the rest of those videos. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks to the rest of you. I hope uh, you enjoyed uh, watching this episode of Filmmakers on the Cutting Edge by CreativeSpark.ai. Remember to check out CreativeSpark.ai for more podcast episodes and tutorials focused on cutting edge technologies, workflows, and tools to help you be a more creative and productive filmmaker. Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, just a quick reminder, subscribe to the channel and click that bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and hit that like button. And if you didn't, send me an email, marcelo at creativespark.ai. So we will see you on the next episode. Have a good one, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.